You're listening to episode 174 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is all about chaplaincy, a profession that dates back centuries and plays a vital role in many institutions and communities today. Joining us today are Reverend Andrew Compton and Dr. Alan Strange, and together, They're going to guide us through the rich history of chaplaincy and provide insights into its contemporary function in the Presbyterian tradition. From its early roots in military and hospital settings, chaplaincy has evolved to serve diverse populations in various settings such as prisons, universities, and the corporate setting. Along the way, chaplains have faced unique challenges and opportunities. So in this episode, we're going to dive into the complex and multifaceted world of chaplaincy, exploring its history, purpose, and significance in our modern world. Hello and welcome to Roundtable. We are back uh, with a new series and we're excited to have some good conversation around the table here. I'm Andrew Compton, Professor of Old Testament here at Mid-America and my guest today is my eminent colleague, Dr. Alan Strange, Professor of Opera, Professor of Mahler and Wagner, Professor of all good things here at Mid-America. No, I'm teasing. Uh, apologetics, church history. Two of what he's drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here uh, not just because uh, Alan and I tend to uh, chew the fat a lot in all these kinds of conversations we talk about, but uh, we're here to talk about chaplaincy. And our resident historian uh, has a really excellent way of just at least helping us frame the history of the chaplaincy. What does it mean uh, that that we have chaplains in various kinds of institutions, various kinds of settings, and and how might that be beneficial uh, for the church? And so, what we hope to do that today is just introduce the topic about, hopefully, kindle an interest in it, so that people uh, in general see the value of it, see the the ways in which uh, the the um, ministry of the word can can be brought, how the gospel can be brought in any number of settings outside the. Uh, sort of the local church, uh, and also for people who have a heart for these kinds of um, these kinds of ministry settings to see that, yeah, seminary can prepare one even for this. It's not simply that everybody is called as a solo pastor, uh, but that there are a number of ways in which the ministry uh, is done and, and has been done in the church. So welcome. I hope this will be an edifying series, especially as we uh, spend some time visiting with some of our alums and other people we know, some of our friends of our seminary who are chaplains and who can give us some uh, insight into how they exercise their calling. Well, I'm not wearing a cape today <laughs> as Dr. Strange, as that eponymous character uh, is known, but uh, I could be for other purposes uh, because uh, some of you may be familiar that St. Martin's of Tours that great 4th century monastic uh, in the West, in what has become known as France, um, had his famous half-cape capella, as it was called, and he ministered to those in the army and also those royally. And this capella came known down to us uh, through the Latin and is known as chaplain chapel, the place where the chaplain does his work. And the basic idea here, going all the way back then into the ancient church, 
is that the church, uh, particularly at that time through its monastics, often had a very intentional outreach into institutions of society that had something of their own integrity. Hmm. So universities were communities of their own, and the idea of chaplain would be not that people in the university wouldn't go to the local uh, places of worship, you know, as town and gown have always had to meld, but that on the university campus itself, the church would go, the church would take itself, if you will, and there would be some religious instruction and other sorts of things from these chaplains. And so it's in the universities, hospitals where people are not able easily perhaps to access uh, their ordinary services of worship. Uh, Obviously, armies, particularly armies in the field, that are removed from any sort of thing. So the, the, the basic idea of the chaplaincy has been one way in which the church takes itself out of just its four walls and its ordinary worship into the broader world. And in the OPC, for example, we have uh, in our book of church order, um, chapter five of the former government talks about offices in the church. Uh, And chapter six then uh, further distinguishes that as it speaks about ministers or teaching elders. And then the following chapters, several chapters, uh, delineate uh, various ways in which ministers or teaching elders can carry out that office. And our listeners may be saying, well, we know, of course, pastor, Mm -hmm. but we believe uh, historic Presbyterianism and historic Reformed understandings have always said, well, pastor is someone who is the shepherd, right, of a local, settled, established church. There are others, and we denominate them. There are different ways of speaking about this. We denominate some of these other um, manifestations of ministerial office under the heads of in, of evangelists and of teachers. And when it comes to evangelists, this is what we say uh, in chapter 7, section 2. The evangelist, in common with other ministers, is ordained to perform all the functions that belong to the sacred office of the minister. I pause here and say, because in some uh, Reformed churches of more recent times, evangelists are a sort of minister light, or they're not full ministers. That's not how we conceive of this. Um, and we go on to say, distinctive to the function of the evangelist in his ministry of the gospel. And then we delineate different ways that evangelists might be called and serve in the church. A, a missionary in a home or foreign mission field. So just pause to say, we regard all of our missionaries, home and foreign, under the rubric of evangelist as ministers. Secondly, a stated supplier, special preacher in churches, to which he does not sustain a pastoral relationship. Uh, And I want to mention D and E as an administrator of an agency for preaching the gospel. So you could be an administrator of something like Great Commission Publications, uh, which is a joint church agency. uh, And the head of that is a minister and an evangelist or an editor or similar ministry through the press and other means of communication. But it's, it's C that says a chaplain in institutions or in military forces. Hmm. So as I said, the kind of institutions would be 
um, hospitals, nursing homes, obviously the military, businesses. We're going to think, talk about many things as yeah. we go along in this series. But the idea here is that um, the church is being rather proactive. The church isn't just saying to every sort of person in every sort of circumstance, well, our doors are open. Come in if you can make it here. Come in if you can get here. Rather, the church is saying, well, we understand there are particular institutional situations in which it's really appropriate for the church to have a an intentional outreach into those situations. And op- the military situation is, you could say, the most obvious, mm-hmm. particularly when the military is deployed in the field in maneuvers. Especially in, if it's a, a hostile territory. Exactly. I mean, you, you can't just send them outside the base to right. go to church. When they're actually in wartime, that takes on a particular uh, a particular role. And so I will say this, too. I'm really happy to, to be here today and to be a part of this conversation because I have uh, been uh, long an advocate uh, of this in a particular kind of way. And I had some people when I was a rather young fellow in my early 30s advocating this in the Presbytery of New Jersey, where I was a ministerial member, look a little oddly at me. But we did get something going there. I had opportunity both not only to serve as a pastor in a local church, but I served on behalf of the Presbytery as evangelist at the local state university. Hmm. We started a pretty active outreach, and actually a number of people were converted. A number of wonderful things happened through this ministry. But I became an advocate. I said, this presbytery should be ordaining evangelists to all of our universities, to all of our prisons, to all of our hospitals. We should be sending men, gospel ministers, into all of these places, and we should be supporting this. And it never got to the point where I would have liked it, but we got we got something more than just having men who are taking that gospel message to uh, to the military. We did when I left there. There were several chaplains serving in hospitals, serving in these other ways, and I think that this I think it's very important as we talk about the the church reaching out. And a lot of times our churches just seem perplexed about how to reach out. Well, this is a very clear way that we can reach out that we often neglect. I mean, when you, when you start saying reach out, people some, in some places start talking, I think, unduly about a kind of every member ministry that puts a burden on every church member to almost be, as it were, a minister. And we don't expect that, though we would, and we would encourage our members to not only invite people to church, I try to say that, inviting people to church, I say, that's pre-evangelism. Mm. You haven't told them the gospel. I said, you're free to do that as well. You're free to give them a reason for the hope that you have within. You're free to speak to them about Christ, and I would encourage you to do so. On the other hand, I've been a part of churches uh, in my deep past when I was a Baptist that was want to lay guilt trips on everybody if you weren't in their estimation virtually being a pastor to everybody you met. People aren't gifted and called to do that. They are able to share Christ, but we're able to give one of the, one of the great blessings of many of our churches 
is we the Lord has blessed us materially mm-hmm. and we have the gift of giving. And just imagine if all of our churches, in all of our churches, if the people gave as they should, I'll just put it out there that way. If people gave as they should, I don't think we would have any shortage. We wouldn't be saying, how can we support these home missions programs? How can we support these foreign mission programs? They would be supported. And I also think we would have room and ability to support and say, we want to send men in this classes or this presbytery into the hospitals of our presbytery, into the the nursing homes, into the universities, because I can assure you that our Roman Catholic friends are there. I've ministered in all these contexts. They're there. The ministers in other churches, the ministers in many mainline churches are there. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing more, I'm going to be blunt here, there's nothing that people in need need less in hours of great anguish than someone coming to them with something other than the clear gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a message that resonates like none other. It's not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps message. It's not a health and wealth message. It's not a social gospel. It's not some kind of liberal uh, do-good gospel. It's not Roman Catholicism or some other um, approach that that mixes something in with the work of Christ and makes our response the decisive factor in our standing before a holy God. So we have a message that we'll preach, and we ought to be out there doing it. And the chaplaincy is a magnificent avenue for this. You know what's neat about the chaplaincy, too? On the one hand, it is it, it is sort of at the forefront of evangelism, just like you described. I mean, there are people who, in God's providence, are at some of the darkest times in their life in the hospital, or at some of the most floundering times of their life in the in in the military. I mean, I remember a, a chaplain I visited with when I was still in the seminary, who uh, kind of jokingly described him, himself as a youth pastor to about twenty thousand um, young people. Um, there, there are these kinds of uh, uh, things like that, but um, you know, where and he was saying that that the so many of these young people, like on ship, would would just be floundering because because all of a sudden they they were engaged in all this discipline that they'd not had to do before, and they were trying to figure out who they were, and 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 so there was um, it was very fruitful soil uh, for or the better metaphor the field was white for harvest. I mean they were. They were able to do that kind of uh, evangelistic work as chaplains. What's interesting with or the, the chap- sea caps were white. You the were sea- on oh. shipboard. So. Oh yeah, clever, <laughs> clever. There you go. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing, though, with the chaplaincy, is it is not specifically evangelistic work either, mm-hmm. because of the fact that in the military, you are actually serving people and ministering to people who are believers That's right. and for whatever reason are unable to be in their local church. Of course we want people in local churches, but we recognize there's a, well, there's a whole lot of reasons. The curse is at work in a lot of ways. There's churches that don't do sufficient pastoral care. There's churches that have such loose conceptions of membership that, that somebody may be in the hospital and there's no pastor there who they really know to even contact. 
Whereas a hospital chaplain is able to minister to them, is able to speak to them as a pastor to a believer. So in, in that sense, there's the evangelism component as well as a discipleship component. Right. That's that's just such a, an amazing yeah, opportunity in these in these different kinds of settings. Well, it's a recognition that the Great Commission isn't contained merely within the four walls of the church. And to to think and act as if it is is actually, again, a rather modern conception. Hmm. We like to think, you know, oh, this is this is the way it is. Everything is within the local church. Of course, you have the problem of on the mission field, whether it's home, but particularly foreign. When a missionary goes out, let's say it's even two or three missionaries go out. Um, you know, are you, are, are we in the situation with, well, because you don't have a church planted yet and you don't have local ruling elders yet. And when they're gathering a church and, and people profess their faith, is that, is the local, are, is that missionary, uh, are those missionaries able to recognize this profession of faith and baptize this person? Are they able among these baptized persons then to have the supper? And the historic answer to that is absolutely yes. It's not unless and until you have what we regard as the ordinary functioning of the church. You have no functioning of the church. Right. And the, 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 the whole genius of the chaplaincy is to say, we are to go out while we have established regular churches. We continue to go out and we go out even to institutions in particular the military. You know, we have a great, um, situation with that. We have the Presbyterian and Reformed Commission on Chaplains and Military Personnel, the PRCC. Mm-hmm. And that's the endorsing agency, um, that serves for the military, but it serves for other, uh, kinds of institutions as well. But let me just tell our listeners, they may not be familiar. You may be familiar that many of our churches are together in Napark. Well, many of our churches are together and are under the rubric of this, uh, this agency mm-hmm. that, that, uh, endorses chaplains. And it's the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, the Korean American Presbyterian Church, the Korean Presbyterian Church in America, Kosin, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Church in America, the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, and the United Reformed Churches in North America. They are all uh, under the aegis of this body, and it, it, it serves to protect them. This body, when it sends a chaplain uh, and endorses a chaplain that comes from one of our member churches, uh, there's some misapprehension and misunderstanding. Some people would say, well, given the tenor of the times, can one of our chaplains, can a URC man or an OPC minister, can he really uh, in his position in, say, the U.S. Army or the U.S. Navy, can he be faithful to our confessions? And this agency says he will be faithful to that, and it requires faithfulness to that. And those institutions take the army and the navy they do not ask a man to minister contrary to his own confessions the three forms of unity the westminster standards uh and to the church order i won't say um i won't fail to acknowledge that it is getting more difficult that's but it's getting more difficult um to be a pastor because you know the questions of say gender fluidity is something that we're all having to deal with. 
And I, no, I hope the, the response of, of some isn't, well, we don't have to deal with that in our church. Well, I can understand that you may think you don't need to ordinarily deal with it as your church is constituted, but I hope all of us are being so outreaching and want to be so outreaching in our local church that people are coming into our local church who have lots of issues, things that need to be dealt with. And, you know, we, we want to very much resist in the kind of times we find ourselves retreating into a holy huddle and not continuing to preach the gospel, not continuing to carry out the Great Commission. And I think people need to realize, too, that organizations that are seeking chaplains are doing so because they know, I mean, you know, you can admit the company or the military, it's not that they have had some kind of spiritual revival necessarily, that they've embraced orthodoxy as a corporation or something, but they recognize that the individual workers have religious convictions that are very much a central part of who they are as, as workers and as people. And their efforts to bring in chaplains are because they say, uh, in some ways, it's just pragmatics for the company. Right. But hey, that serves us well. Right. But they're saying these people uh, in their faith commitments are better cared for, have a better experience working here, are thereby better workers, better co-workers, better employees when they have a this encouragement uh, in their spiritual life. And the, what ends up happening then, and to your point about the uh, the Joint Commission— uh, is that this shows uh, why, for example, the military doesn't want to pressure an Orthodox Presbyterian or United Reformed chaplain to do something that would violate their uh, their ordination vows. Because if they do so, and the Joint Commission is required to pull their commission, suddenly they have to deal with a chaplain. What do they do with him? He doesn't have a commission anymore. Right. Maybe okay. Well, now they have to discharge him. How do they get? It causes all kinds of problems. And so the Joint Commission—I'm using the old language, aren't I? What is it called again? It used to be called the Presbyterian Reform Joint Commission. It's uh, just the Commission on Chaplains and Military okay. Personnel. But you know they are able to even help the military see this is the kind of people we're sending to you, and the military is saying that's good because we want those kind of people to do their thing. And if there's somebody who's not in their faith. We know that they'll at least help those people, whatever they need to do. You know, if they need to, uh, if they need to to help them find some other, you know, uh, hymn books or something, they'll do that. But it's not a matter of forcing chaplains to preach some kind of bla- you know, blathering, you know, social gospel or something like that. So it's really a, an incredible organization that's enabling us to have a vibrant confessional reformed witness in these chaplaincy settings. I think there's one other thing we want to point out here, and I think we really want the churches to know this too. Not everybody who has a heart for serving people, a heart for even the ministry, necessarily comes with the same skill set such that they could serve as a solo pastor. And yet if churches were thinking about what an exciting venue the chaplaincy is, it would be easier for them to say, you know, I don't envision this brother to be a solo pastor, but they've got great skills in the hospital, and I want them to go through seminary. I want them to be licensed. I want them to be ordained so that they can be in the hospital ministering there. 
And that's not often, well, I don't know. I don't know how often or not, but I've, I've heard, heard enough conversations where I don't think a lot of people think of that as a viable option for ministerial service. And we just want to say, we need to open our eyes to the excitement of these different venues. Thank you for tuning in today's episode on the history and function of chaplaincy. We hope you gained valuable insights into this important profession and its role. Next time on the podcast, we'll be joined by two individuals with a wealth of experience in the challenging and rewarding world of prison ministry. Our very own Director of Enrollment, Brian Blummer, and Professor of Ministerial Studies, Reverend Paul Ipema. Together, they'll share stories of the unique challenges and rewards of working in this often misunderstood field and learn about the power of faith and compassion in helping individuals in this particular context. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to MidAmerica Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.